Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast recorded from the Ruby Barn here on Main Street in Suffield, Connecticut. This is your host, Sean Devine, and I'm barely known on Twitter. Well, joining me today is Justin Weiss. It's, it's Weiss, right? I should have asked that before we started. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, that's good. So because I, I really like what you're doing online right now, let's get the introduction of who you are online. So Twitter, website, etc. out of the way first so everyone can can pause and make sure they're following you. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, uh, so I've been uh, writing on my, uh, on my website for, um, I guess, about six months now. Uh, that's justinweiss.com. Um, the last name is spelled W-E-I-S-S, which you know can confuse some people. Um, and I'm the same on Twitter, Justin Weiss. All right, so let's get into uh, let's get into this blog. So I feel like a lot of the things that I read, I've known about for a long time. And in the case of your blog, I think that you followed me on Twitter probably because of the show, and then I saw you occasionally tweeting out articles that you were writing. And I don't know if I looked at the first one, but but the headlines were or the titles were looking pretty interesting. So I started to read them and I was like blown over by how well done this blog is. So tell me about it. Where did it come from? Why do you write it? Um, what's the goal? Uh, well, thanks very much. Uh, I've actually, so I had started um, blogs from time to time over the past five or so years and uh, just never really was able to keep it consistent or have it pan out or that kind of thing. Um, and I actually... Um, I had heard from, uh, like, I, I had talked about this problem with Amy Hoy and Alex Hillman uh, of 3500, 30 by 500 and Unicorn Free. And uh, they had said, you know, one of the things that's always going to be around are problems that people have with, you know, learning things, with um, the things that they're working on, that kind of thing. And that if you write and your writing actually solves real problems that you see people talking about online or that you see people um, having conversations on Twitter about, uh, you can basically have unlimited material. And so I've, I've kind of been taking that approach with a lot of this. I mean, a lot of the posts that I have are prompted by actual problems that I see people encountering in the real world. And um, I think that that's one of the reasons that it finally started really picking up this time. Yeah, because you've, you've done enough... Um, you've you've put enough articles up that it seems like it's a habit right now. Is that fair to say? It definitely is. I mean, it's I have certain things that I that are habits and certain things that aren't, and I can definitely tell the difference between the things that are habits and the things that aren't. The things that are, I mean, they just get done because that's what I do. The things that aren't, a lot of times I have to spend some time trying to motivate myself to do them, or I skip a day here and there, or, or that kind of thing. Yeah, I feel that way about uh, this podcast, actually. And and I, I was talking to my wife about why that is the other day, and and I think that there's something on your blog that that there uh, that uh, may be similar to the podcast, and that you have a, a newsletter version of the podcast, which I think is just like the emailed content from the blog that week, right? Um, it's actually uh, two things. So one of the things is the uh, post notifications from the blog, which is usually just like a little sample along with a link to the blog. Um, the other things is I've been writing uh, once a week on Fridays. They usually go out uh, a different piece of content that's the sort of thing that maybe could fit on the blog, although it might be a little bit uh, fuzzier or um, or that you know a little bit less technical sometimes. Um, but those are actually written based on feedback that I've received directly from the subscribers. So it's a little bit more customized oh, gotcha. to the people that I'm already talking to. Okay. So I, I, 
the, the reason that it seems similar is that having a, a newsletter feels like a commitment that you've made to people that's a little bit more, I don't know, um, serious than occasionally putting up a blog post that they may or may not read, depending on if they follow you on Twitter or, or go to the website or whatever. And the, the podcast for me is sort of like that in that, you know, every week I come up, come out with a new episode and people are subscribed to it. And if I didn't, I would feel like I broke some sort of promise. Um, do you feel that way about the blog that if you didn't write something that you would be breaking a promise you've made with someone, whether it's yourself or some outside party? Oh, totally. Um, yeah, it's like the, um, the, both the blog and the newsletter, I kind of feel that way. Like if I don't get a blog post up on Tuesdays I, is when I usually post them. Um, I would definitely feel like I was, you know, letting some of the readers down, but even more so is the the newsletter because I've actually said, you know, hey, this comes out every Friday and uh, watch for it sort of thing. Right. Now, do you watch um, readership much? Like, do you pay attention to how, how it's been growing over time and, and what sorts of people are are reading? Or do you not really care too much about those stats in the short run? Well, so my day job is uh, a site that, you know, kind of grew on in uh, – 2008 through like 2011 through almost entirely SEO analytics, that kind of thing. And so I'm kind of used to just naturally having that kind of information available. So based on that, one of the first things I did was set up Google analytics and that kind of thing on the, on the blog. And I've been using that. I mean, it's not where I'm checking it, you know, every five minutes or anything like that, but uh, I definitely do kind of see how the, how it's been growing. Um, I get the notifications every time somebody signs up to my list. And I, I also, um, I get a lot of feedback from the people that have just signed up about you know what they're interested in, what kind of things they're working on, um, those kinds of things, which spark some pretty interesting conversations. So, what's your most popular post then, since you you have the analytics all uh, tweaked out here? So, the most popular one is actually one of the first ones I ever wrote, which is about uh, sorting and filtering in Rails controllers without using any sort of um, backend index like Solar or anything like that. Why do you think it was the most uh, popular? I think uh, one of the reasons is that it's you know it's a short snippet of code. It actually solves a problem that I saw, I've seen lots of people asking about. Uh, and the other fun thing is that it shows up uh, really really high in the search results for um, filter and controller in Rails, which people search for all the time. Um, oh, interesting. It may not necessarily be exactly what they're looking for, but I do get a lot of um, you know a lot of feedback and, and emails and things directly from there. Now, do is the is the back catalog of content hit often through search, or is are most of the views week to week um, the newer content that's on the front page or the the first or the top piece of content? Uh, it's it's usually the most recent stuff that gets hit the most often. Uh, I mean, there's there's a trickle into all the previous posts and things like that, but it's uh, I think if you talk to most most people that post kind of regularly, you'll they'll tell you that their graph looks like really spiky. So every time a new post comes out, you know, big spike. Every time a new post comes out, big spike. Um, that kind of thing. Which is sort of weird, right? Because it's not, it's not like the content that you're writing is all of all that timely, really. I mean, some but, of it maybe is, but not most of it. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, I think a lot of it comes from the attention that comes when the post first comes out by it showing up in people's RSS readers and RubyFlow and Reddit and all that kind of thing. Uh, where do most uh, where do most readers come from? Like what, what, what sites are referring them to your site? Uh, it's actually almost entirely uh, RubyFlow or even between RubyFlow and wherever it shows up on Reddit. So either, you know, our Ruby or our Rails. Um, 
but if I get picked up by Ruby Weekly, who I, I know you just had Peter Cooper on, um, a, a I did, ago, which a few was weeks ago. which was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, there, uh, he he actually uh, gives a significant amount of traffic for the post that he picks up. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, he's got I think what is it fifty thousand? I just had him on, and I forget the number fifty thousand Ruby, uh, or I don't know if they're all Ruby programmers, but mm-hmm. fifty thousand people subscribe to that um, that uh, yeah. that email service. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's the original one, like he said, so it's been growing for a long, long time. I feel, I, I feel dumb that I don't know RubyFlow, but what, like, I think I, I must have seen it now in web searches now that I'm looking at it, but I, I've never really paid attention to RubyFlow. What is it? So I, it might have actually been Peter Cooper that also set that up, uh, but it's, uh, it started off as a, I mean, he calls it a um, Ruby community blog. Mm-hmm. And it's a way that people that are writing that may not necessarily have the audience built up yet to kind of have sustainable uh, amounts of, uh, of views and visitors to post their thing somewhere where everybody that's interested in Ruby and Rails can follow and, and see kind of all the new posts just as they come in. Oh, I see. So you submit to RubyFlow. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you can also, I mean, other people can also submit, but uh, I, it seems like most people tend to submit their own thing. Well, that's kind of cool. I feel sort of dumb for not knowing about this. <laughs> uh, I've, it's one of those things where I've it's it's been around for a long time, and uh, I've I've kind of been doing a lot of this stuff for a long time. I've been addicted to RSS and new Ruby news and all that kind of stuff for a long time, and so um, I think it's probably a lot less popular now. Mm. I was actually talking to uh, a few people that have been kind of writing for uh, the Ruby community for a long, long time, and. It's kind of interesting, just kind of how it's um, how it's changed over time. What where the you know new authors have come in, uh, how some of the old ones have stopped writing, that kind of thing. There's there's always kind of this gradual shift as people kind of drop in and out of the industry or just writing in general. What's changed in particular? Um, it's I think it's a little bit of the like. When I first started, it was there was a lot of discovery. There was a lot of hey, this is something really really cool that you can do with Ruby and Rails. And it's kind of it was Ruby was kind of still in the early adopter phase where um, a lot of the people that were writing for it were really discovering uh, a lot of new things about how to you know, structure Ruby code, how to do cool metaprogramming things. And um, as as Ruby has kind of grown into a, a uh, a language that lots and lots of people have started to join and started to use and started to write about, it's become a little bit more stable, a little bit more um, structured. Like there are some best practices that uh, show up in the community that, that people kind of follow. And um, it's it's been a little bit less exploratory and a little bit more of like a, this is a good, solid way of doing this thing, which, you know, it's it's actually good in a way because you can... it You, you are, are more likely to find good advice when you search these days, it seems like. Um, but I, I also kind of miss the exploratory, um, I I don't want to call it research that people were doing before, but you know, that kind of thing. So I, I, on a recent episode, I was talking about the Ruby quiz. I'm not sure if you listened to that one or not, Mm -hmm. but, um, looking at the Ruby quiz, which came out, um, I don't know, maybe about eight or nine years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. And it was run by James Edward Gray, the second. And, uh, you know, the basic idea is that he'd put up some sort of, uh, brain teaser problem that would be solved with Ruby and then people would submit their solutions and he would go through those and figure out the common approaches and the best approaches and then post like a summary of them all. 
And it's, it's really fascinating to, to read them, um, kind of through the lens that you just described, because now the, the solutions would be so much better that would be sent in. It's almost comical, right? They'd all be tested. They'd all, they'd all, uh, uh, have nice clean classes. They'd all be in, you know, GitHub. They'd all have a gem structure, you know, just be so clean. And none of it was clean. And it was being written by the guys that, you know, now would be seen as the guys that would never submit anything other than, you know, perfect code. And it got me thinking about the same topic, which is how things have changed and how, you know, the the sort of calcification of of what good looks like. And I agree with you. I think, I mean, there's some good to it. Certainly the advice is better that's out there, but I think there's some bad in that it it maybe can feel a bit off-putting to those that haven't figured out the, the one true way, so to speak. Yeah, um, actually, Ruby Quiz was one of the ways that I originally learned Ruby and Rails, um, or at least you know, kind of practiced it as I was as I was getting better and better at it. Um, so it was interesting to hear that again because it's one of those things I just haven't thought of in a long time. Uh, but right. I, I oh, sorry, go ahead. I bet you'd find it interesting to go back and do a, a quiz either that you had done before that you'd never done before now, because my experience doing that is that, um, boy, I'm, I'm a lot better now. <laughs> like I like my approach to it is so much better than it, it was when I first was learning Ruby and and I remember finding the Ruby quiz for examples of how to attack certain problems and uh, oh, it's it's interesting just as a as a way to explore sort of what's changed about you. Yeah, definitely, and I mean, uh, just kind of being in the same uh, the same job for uh, I guess almost seven years now. It's also kind of interesting looking back at that Ruby code and seeing kind of how it's you know, some of the stuff that has kind of stayed the same because it hasn't needed to be touched for a while and how that is completely different than the way I would have written it kind of doing what I know now. Right. Yeah, I I deal with that every day. Yeah. <laughs> I encounter my own awful code and things that are clever or things that I'm not sure how they work anymore, which is probably the most common category. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's uh, I think it's probably a good thing to well both see um your early code is, is not being as good and also to kind of um, recognize the you know your constraints when you wrote it in the first place and that kind of thing because it's it shows that you're growing it shows that you're learning and it shows that you're actually kind of moving in the right direction I like the fearlessness of my old code that's my favorite thing about it is that I mean it, it may be not tested that well and it may be um, a little brittle or there may be coupling in places that there shouldn't be. There may be all sorts of problems, but it tends to be gutsy. Yeah, um, I mean, that's a, it's a great way of describing it. The, this couldn't possibly fail, so let's just ignore it if it does. Or, or the, uh, well, I didn't even consider this edge case because the only time anybody found out about it was uh, you know, three months ago when they did some crazy thing on our website and all of a sudden it caused this chain reaction that caused this thing to blow up and yeah, who could have possibly expected that? So I definitely know where you're coming from there. And I think I've so I uh, my day to day work I do or have done a decent amount of sort of applied math inside of the the uh, the applications that we're working on, and that's sort of a different world in that some of it's not exactly deterministic, and you don't totally know what the inputs are going to be because that's one of the things that's changing. And and uh, I think when I wrote much of that code, I. Uh, I hadn't built the testing skills that I have now. So I just wasn't so stressed about it. Like, cause that would be very hard to test some of the algorithms involved, especially given the uncertain input. And, you know, I don't know. I just didn't worry about it, I guess. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it, it, it's, uh, it's good to read through that code and go, Oh, right. Like I don't have to be, you know, I don't have to walk so gingerly all the time. 
Yeah, I mean, testing is another one of those things where I get I get the impression from a lot of people new to Ruby and Rails that they're can, they're feeling this pressure to be perfect testers from day one. And I mean, I was absolutely not a perfect tester from day one. Uh, I I think it probably took me years and years in the industry before I even knew what TDD was, let alone how to do it. Uh, but it's it's one of those things like any like you know learning Ruby and Rails in general, it takes practice, and it's just kind of. Uh, interesting to see that there's so much pressure to have good tests which is great except for when it causes people to get stressed out and not you know stop learning or just get confused or kind of delay their progress because they're worried about writing great tests from day one yeah well this is trite but i mean uh, testing is programming too so if you're a crappy programmer you know because you just started and you don't know what you're doing then tests are just more programming that you aren't that good at and you know no big shock that you wouldn't be good at writing those programs either to me um, right. So yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about the blog itself. It looks very nice. And the functionality is, is I mean, it's a, it's simple because it's a blog, but it, is this something that you wrote or are you using um, a framework from an open source framework or a third-party blogging service for this? Um, so I'm actually using Octopress. It's, uh, I've... I always go through those things where it's like, I would love to write this myself. This would be such a great idea. But if I have to write a blog at the same time that I'm also trying to motivate myself or build a habit to write, I'm just going to, you know, it's just going to be too much. And I'm just not going to do either of them. So um, I'm using yeah, I'm using Octopress because pretty much my entire life is spent writing Markdown. So uh, that seems like the appropriate way to go. And I grabbed a theme that's just basically a Bootstrap 3 um, Octopress framework and then uh, has have customized it a little bit from there. So tell me a bit more about Octopress. I mean, I know the headline, but I don't know anything beyond that. Mm-hmm. So Octopress is, it's based on Jekyll. It actually uses Jekyll as the main engine of a lot of it, but it also has a little bit more framework for specifically doing blogs. So they have, you can download themes and they download it into a dot file and then you can change the themes really easily or, uh, they it, it's, it has kind of like a Rails-like structure for your posts, for your pages, for all that kind of thing. And it just makes it pretty easy to get started. Uh, there's a few things that I was a little bit confused in when I was first starting. Like, hey, where is this sidebar thing located? Where is uh, Where should I put the code that I want to go below the post? Like that kind of thing. But overall, it's it's been really easy. And I, it's, I don't have to fiddle with it all that much, which is actually really valuable when I'm trying to get stuff written and out there. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because especially with a programming blog, I mean, fiddling is either the goal or or the distraction. <laughs> right, right. But I, I get how it could be the distraction for sure. Yeah, and I mean, the um, the syntax highlighting is perfect because that's one of those things that I always used to have to fiddle with to get right, is, is having good, solid syntax highlighting on a programming blog. And uh, this, it just kind of works. I write it, again, in Markdown where I can just say, hey, this is Ruby code and highlights it correctly. Or I can say, hey, this code belongs in this file. So it has a little header that shows you the file name. And that's been really helpful. It's quite, yeah, it's quite pretty. I think it's oh, very nice. You. Now, does it handle the the um, email newsletter? It wouldn't do that, right? Uh, no. So that's actually, yeah, that's MailChimp um, is what I use to handle all the email stuff. Um, the actual... Sign up forms and things are are pretty much what they gave me, except I've tweaked it a little bit. Um, you know, I've I've been doing web programming uh, or web development enough that uh, there are some extra little things that I could add um, in order to get those to do exactly what I wanted to do. So 
uh, for instance, like I wanted to be able to see if I was looking at my Google Analytics, I wanted to see what you know what percentage of people that visit my site, for instance, end up uh, signing up for the newsletter. And so I was able to do that pretty easily just by hooking some events and that kind of thing. Yeah, cool. Um, so it looks from your uh, from your newsletter and from your site that that you are either working on a book or have a draft of a book. Is that right? Uh- yeah, so I'm actually, uh, based on a lot of the feedback that I've been getting from the people that have signed up for my list and also just kind of the the general uh, feeling, it seems, when I you know waste, waste time on uh, Reddit Rails and Reddit Ruby, that kind of thing, that uh, people still have a really hard time learning Rails. And I mean, that's not that surprising considering just how big web development is even without considering Rails. And from the people I've talked to, a lot of it, a lot of it isn't necessarily a problem with specific parts of Rails, except for TDD. Um, It's more like having trouble consistently finding time to learn it, consistently uh, making sure that the stuff they actually read sticks with them, or turning what they read from tutorials or from uh, books or from screencasts or that kind of thing into into their actual own personal apps. You know, it's uh, one of the comments I heard was it's like, I, I know I've read enough tutorials to know how to b- build a blog seven different ways, but I don't know how to build the thing that I actually came into this thing to build. And so I, I tried to or I'm trying to write a book more focused on the like, these are the ways that you can make sure the stuff sticks with you, that you can actually start and finish a Rails app using this kind of process and um, that you can actually get to the why you got into Ruby and Rails to begin with. What do you think are the keys, like the two or three keys to internalizing how Rails works? So internalizing how Rails works is, is a little bit of an interesting thing because I came into it in a little bit of a different way than I think uh, people that are brand new to programming as well as Rails are, are having or people that come from certain other languages are having. Uh, when I was, I originally came to Rails through the Java world, through the Java web development world, so I already kind of had a good sense of web development. Uh, and Rails was so interesting because it took all of these things that I had to build myself and just said, hey, this is, this is an easy way to do it. Like, you don't have to worry about all of these things that you used to have to write XML configuration files for, that you had to use code generation for, that you had to uh, spend you know, hours, days, weeks of my life just doing random busy work to make the compiler happier, to make the framework happy. Rails is like, I, we're here to make you happy. And so I think the... One of the keys to actually uh, getting to actually getting Rails and making sure that you're happy with Rails and that you're actually doing what Rails expects you to is to just do what Rails tells you to for the most part. It's the the whole idea of convention over configuration is why I originally loved Rails to begin with. They didn't make you, have you make a lot of these decisions that you really didn't have to make. You just say, "Hey, do what do what we think is the right way to do this, and your life is going to be easier." And as somebody who likes his life to be easier, that's one of the things that really kind of attracted me to it and also uh, helped me avoid some of the pitfalls of, well, maybe I shouldn't use controllers. Maybe I should use uh, service models for all of these things. Or maybe I should do start with a hexagonal architecture or you know those types of things where just one more thing you have to learn straight up if you want to do it that way. But if you don't have to do it that way, then just stick with what Rails tells you and your life is going to be easier. Yeah, I think that there. I think that the, uh, the advice you just gave is is right on, and also a paradox because when I see people learning Rails, um, I often want to say if if it, if you're fighting Rails uh, too much, at least really almost at all early on, you're doing it wrong. Um, in the, in that you know it it's the 
early on, you shouldn't be doing anything all that crazy difficult. And Rails gives an easy path on just about everything. But the, the reason it's a paradox is that they, they don't know what they're doing at all yet. So everything feels like a fight. So yeah. it, it takes a while to understand what hard feels like because, you know, when everything feels hard. Um, so I wonder, I wonder how to get that feeling to people early. Like right now, if you or I were writing an application in Rails, we mm-hmm. could feel immediately. I mean, like within two minutes down a path, if we were sort of cutting against the grain a bit. And then I, I, I would assume both of us would go, wait a second here. You know, it, this shouldn't feel this hard. I must be doing something strange. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder how someone that's learning Rails can get that feeling as early as possible. So, you know, that have that light bulb go off that says, uh-oh, this path is is not with the flow of the river. Um, and I don't really know what the answer is on that. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with just practice and repetition and building. I've seen the advice given to just get your first 50 or 100 apps out of the way as quickly as possible. And they don't have to do much. They just have to do something and you have to write them. And if you can do that enough, you start to see where the commonalities are, where the parts that are easy for you are, where the parts that are difficult for you are. Um, But you do need a guide for those first couple. Otherwise, you are going to get stuck on the places that really shouldn't be hard but are because you're just starting out yeah i think that's right i think i think yeah go through uh some sort of guided tour for you know one to three and then in quick succession bang out as many simple apps as you possibly can just to get the the reps in right to get the muscle memory going i think that makes yeah. sense to me yeah and one of my favorite ways of uh of handling that is by actually writing lots of little tiny apps whenever I'm curious about something. Like, say I want to, I see some cool parameter for Rails associations I want to try out. I just use a Rails app with lots of generators, lots of um, scaffolds, and just try to get something out there that kind of proves to me, hey, this does actually work the way that I expect it to work. And uh, that's another good way of at least getting used to uh, spinning up these apps, playing with these apps, writing a little bit of code in each of these apps, and then ignoring them if you don't need them anymore. Heroku's a godsend for that, I think, because um, this comes back to something that we said uh, earlier, but it's, at least for me, it's nice to have a public forum to to play with things, right? So, I mean, it's, it's fine to build an app that I'm going to use myself, but it's nice to share. And even if it's for a family member, you know, like one other person, it's better than just me. Um and Heroku makes it so easy to take an app and like just spin up a dyno that'll work for free and, and uh, that someone else can use. I mean, granted, I could do that off of my home computer and and uh, just fine too, but Heroku sort of isolates it and makes it so I don't have to worry about the DevOps side on these little practice projects. And um, I like that they just announced that um, Heroku button. Not that I think that it solves this problem exactly, but I like the idea that they're thinking about how to make it easy for people to, to deploy examples. Because if once you've done it a lot on Heroku, and I don't know if you use Heroku at all, it's easy, right? You're totally used to it, and it, it's like a, it's a non-event. But early on, it doesn't feel that way. And if early on is when people need the repetition most, then anything that smooths out that deploy process for them is, is super great because it helps get them get the repetitions a bit more quickly. Yeah, I definitely agree with the Heroku. It's um, I there's something magical about the first time that you see code you wrote running somewhere where other people can see it. Uh, you, if you talk to iOS developers, you hear the same thing. That first time that it's running on your phone, it's like magical. It's like I can't believe that I actually was able to do this, and that's one of those things that addicts or gets 
uh, people addicted to programming to begin with. Yeah, I still feel that way. I mean, yeah, even definitely. after all the code and all the apps now, I still feel excited when something new goes up. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and so having something where it's so easy to do that once you kind of get the general workflow down where I have this app and I'm just going to run these git commands that they tell me to and all of a sudden it's up here for everybody to see. That's that's really, really cool. And I... Um, you need those sparks during the first couple, you know, the first couple of months or years of learning something new. You need those places where you're like, this is actually worth it. Right. So I want to hear more about the book and then I've got a handful of other topics here, but I should do a sponsor. Um, all right. I'll, I'll let you pick which one, Raygun or Codeship, which to do first. Um, let's do Raygun. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're a newer sponsor. So the first sponsor today is going to be Raygun. Let me tell you a bit about it. Do you know about it, Justin? I do. I actually have a sticker of theirs uh, upstairs in my room. So, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, is it? I think I I know what their logo looks like, but is the sticker similar to? Is it their their logo in sticker form? Um, I don't. Let's see if I can see their logo. But uh, it's it's actually just the the gun, and it's actually really neat because it's one of the um, it it has thinner parts on that sticker than I've seen in most stickers that I uh, cool. I've played with before yeah their gun looks like a um so go to raygun.io to see what we're talking about but mm-hmm. their gun looks like a toy from the incredibles i think yeah it's, it's yeah, got like a, a really produced sort of uh it kind of looks like a fancy os 10 icon mm-hmm. um it's really nice all right so let me tell you about it so uh all software has bugs and uh, the way that we deal with softwares is cha- changing to lo- no longer be reactive, but more proactive. Frustrated users who have experienced a problem with your app uh, now try to detail just what happened over lengthy emails or phone calls and suddenly have wasted hours of precious and expensive development time trying to find the bug and apologize to your disgruntled user. And that's if they report your software's errors, of course. The majority of people will experience the bugs and just walk away. Wouldn't you be happier doing what you love to do, which is shipping great code and great features like we've been talking about, um, rather than chasing bugs? If your software is crashing and becoming unusable for your customers, what does that cost you? So have you used Raygun too, uh, Justin? Um, I haven't actually used them yet. You're just using them for their stickers? (laughs) For the most part, yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, uh, it doesn't have to be the way that I just described. Raygun, which is built by a company called Mindscape that makes developer tools, they take it just takes minutes to integrate, and then you'll be notified of your software bugs as they happen with automatic notifications and a full stack trace to detect, diagnose, and fix errors in record time. With just a line or two of code, Raygun works with all major mobile and web programming languages in a matter of minutes. All errors are then automatically reported to the Raygun service, allowing your team to be alerted to problems with enough information about an error to resolve it right away. Raygun tracks millions of errors per hour and monitors software for thousands of developers every day. So we don't have to talk about who, but do you use some sort of error trapping service like this? Uh, we do. Unfortunately for everybody that has to use it, we're, we're there using one that I wrote. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did you name it something goofy? Um, I had to rename it three times because I was planning on open sourcing it, and everybody kept on taking the name that I was currently using. So, oh, that's um, right now it's called uh, Error Stalker. But uh, it's yeah, it, it was uh, also my first foray into writing something that was backed by MongoDB, which is also a good time. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, uh, you do not have to write your own now. You can use uh, you can use Raygun, and they have a um, a 
a gem called Raygun for Ruby that that can be set up in in just a, a couple seconds by adding that gem to your application's gem file. You can get documentation on their website. Uh, or if you use Heroku, like we were just talking about, they have a Heroku add-on, um, which I, I guess takes away the uh, process of signing up with them directly. They've got great features your, your team uh, will love, and you can get started for free if you go to raygun.io slash 5 by 5 ruby They've got a great deal, which is if you use the, the code 5 by 5 you get a $50 account credit um, that you can use to uh, reduce the cost of using Raygun. So if you're not using an error trapping service, you definitely should. I think Justin and I will agree on that part for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, and if you're going to use a, an error trapping service, then why don't you support the show and uh, give Raygun a try? Thanks to Raygun. All right. That's that. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't even know what I would do without being able to see the errors that are that are coming into my app. Uh, <laughs> what what errors? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen anything. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Like like my, my like my kids when they were littler, putting yeah. their hands over their their eyes. Exactly. Um, so, do you have a name for the book yet? Um, I'm kind of deci- trying to decide between a couple of different names. Um, I've I've played around with the idea of calling it the the Rails Companion, um, the Art of Learning Rails. But I, it's one of those things where I just need to sit down and I need to make a decision and I need to go with it because it's not like I can't rename it later if I also hate if I hate the name after it's released. But um, <laughs> you've done it before, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with your with your uh, error trapping service. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, it's it's just one of those things I I have to sit down and do. So, you know, I, I don't know if uh, this exists, but I'm a I'm an NBA fan, and mm-hmm. there's a, I'm not sure if you're an NBA fan, but but one of the tricky things about the NBA is the collective bar- bargaining agreement, right? So the rules about uh, how much and in what way teams can play individual or pay individual players and construct their entire roster, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like the salary cap, but there are many, many other details around the collective bargaining agreement. Anyways, it's so complicated that people have, even people that are quite into it and quite smart, have trouble following exactly the details. So this guy came up with a uh, series of flashcards, which is not like a toy project. I mean, this is like uh, the sort of flashcards that you would use if you were studying for the bar exam. And in fact, he's a lawyer, which I don't think is a coincidence. And uh, at first I was like, oh, is this just a a gimmick? And then I took a look and I'm like, oh no, this is actually how you learn, how you like hammer into your head um, what uh, is like a pretty steep learning curve of, at first of the details so that they become second nature. And I don't, and it, so I'm sort of impressed by it. And mm-hmm. uh, I haven't seen, although it may exist, a similar idea for Rails, which is like, you know, the Rails flashcards, the, you know, one way you can drill this stuff into your head is by writing 100 apps. And, and maybe that could be 40 apps or 20 apps if you... Uh, use something like flashcards to sort of supplement the absorption process. Do you know if that exists or not? Um, I don't, and I, it's it's something I've thought about a little bit, but I I just have a hard time imagining what that would look like for for Rails. I mean, it's not like you're you're trying to memorize APIs all the time because if you have a good uh, like finding document work or documentation workflow, it's really it you don't really have to have too much memorized, and I. It, you you would rather just kind of memorize it over the process of uh, of using it so many times. I think that concept. So I agree with you about the API itself. I think the concepts are maybe different though. 
Mm-hmm. Like, so for example, um, what's, what's, it's, it's interesting to put yourself in beginner's mind again. So, yeah. uh, like, oh, the re- relations. So, you know, has many belongs to has one, um, you know, then, then the options like through or, or whatever those at first, I mean, after a while they're second nature, but at first they are not second nature. At least they weren't to me. Yeah, um, I can see that. And I mean, it's a little bit hard to remember how you felt about it now, but, but I would, that's the sort of thing that I think a flashcard would have helped me with. Like, you know, repeat again and again, well, a belongs to is a relationship, um, uh, you know, pointing to the other thing, you know, with an example or two. And then, you know, has one, like I remember has one and belongs to is if you Google for that, you'll see a million questions on stack overflow about it. And, and that's one that I could imagine a, a flashcard helping with. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I, when I first found the place in the documentation where it said the, um, the primary key or the foreign key always is on the belongs to table, like that unlocked it for me. I'm like, yep. okay, this makes sense now. And uh, yeah, it's funny I you said that. I mean, that's the way I just described it too, which is the, <laughs> yeah. you know, where is pointing to what? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> that's the, that's the belongs to, you know, I mean, I, I guess the things that could be, um, flashcardable, so to speak, are just the rails guides. If you read through the rails guides, mm-hmm. because those are concepts, not API, except for examples, um, and sort of boiled those down until they were reduced into bullet points. I think th- th- those are probably the topics, give or take. I love the Rails guides. I, I think they're usually the first place I go to when I have questions about how something works or how something has changed in newer versions of Rails, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think they're outstanding. I agree. So why write the book? So it's I, I kept on getting the same type of questions for the people that would either join my list or that I've been talking to over, uh, you know, over the course of weeks or months. And there's definitely... Like, at some point, you start answering the same kind of questions over and over and over again. And you're like, well, maybe if this group of people are asking me these questions, this could be helpful to a much larger group of people. And uh, maybe I should just put it somewhere where I can have like a nice, this is where you start, and this is the path that you are led on through the course of this, uh, of this book. And at the end, you'll have these, like, these skills, or at least these, this way of moving forward from there. And, go ahead. and so more than a, more than like a, a blog post, you can go into a lot of detail. You can go into, um, you can have a little bit more of uh, like subpaths almost where you have each, each chapter can be a like, I, at the end of this chapter, I'm going to have this. And then by the end of all of these chapters, these things are going to interrelate with one another and I'll have this. Yeah, uh, I may get the punchline wrong on this joke, but I always like the joke about the top three reasons that, uh, that uh, an author writes a book. The uh, their name on the front cover, the uh, spine and the back cover. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Although it's not as I feel like now that joke would be lost on my kids. They'd be like, I don't even understand what you're talking about, Dad. Like, w- where is your name going to appear on the back of my iPad? <laughs> What's the cover? I exactly. <laughs> like I really think that I've got a I've got three kids: an 18 year old, a 11 year old, and a seven year old. I think the seven year old like seriously would not know what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but I think that that's got to be part of it, right? Because writing a book is, it's, uh, I, I think it, it, it's partly like running a marathon or something, mm-hmm. something that you feel good about because you accomplished it because it's a pain in the ass and other people don't want to do it. Um, yeah. and, it, and it seems, it seems like you've got that ethos given the blog. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of those things where it, it would be so nice to just like, it's, 
it's one of those things where it would be awesome to have it done, but the process of doing it is not, you know, not quite as awesome. Um, definitely, um, I, I think a marathon is, is probably a good uh, metaphor to have there because it is just continually um, showing up, work, uh, working on it, showing up, working on it, showing up, working on it until eventually, hey, I've done this awesome thing and for a little while I never want to do it again. <laughs> Are you a runner? Um, oh, not like, uh, I, I actually, I've never run a marathon, but um, I do run regularly just as part of uh, exercise, that kind of thing. I think day, so I'm on a, like a running streak right now. Mm-hmm. And I started a month ago and I said, okay, I'm going to, uh, I'm running in a race this weekend and I wanted to <clears throat> put in a lot of miles. So I was going to run every day for a while, but now I'm in like a trap because I've run every day. This is, I think day 31 now, mm-hmm. but I, now I really don't like, I probably should take a break cause I'm running this, this race this weekend. And like today it's pouring out here in Connecticut, but I, I, I it's, bugging me to break the streak. It's like if yeah. I didn't post the an, an episode this week, it would like really get to me. So I think I'm just going to have to run in the rain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. No, I, I'm uh, I'm a little worried what happens the first time that I that I have to miss writing a a post because I've been on a streak for so long that it's like, am I going to be able to re you know regain the streak afterwards? Uh, and it's it's just uh, so I I just don't do it. I just always have something out there, even if I'm not feeling like it. Yeah, well, I think that that's the answer, right? It's like, how do you avoid problems in your marriage? You know, like avoid problems in your marriage. Yeah, yeah it's not, <laughs> okay. not all that helpful, but it's it's really kind of exactly. <laughs> you know, just don't get in the situation. Well, yeah, I mean, I that's how I feel about the the podcast. I haven't missed one yet, and some weeks it definitely could have been difficult. But you know, either you write a week in advance, or you, I don't know put out an, an episode that isn't as good as what you hoped you'd do, but what the hell? <laughs> so Yeah, I've definitely had that problem where you, once once you have a streak going and you break the streak, it's really hard to, to get the motivation to build that streak up again because it's like, okay, I'm starting from one and then I get to two and then I get to three and then it breaks and then I get to two and then it breaks and then I get to three and then it breaks and that kind of thing. Um, so what I've, what I've been trying out recently is there's a site called uh, Beeminder that's one of those, uh, like, it's the stick to the um, the... Uh, streak method uh, carrot, I guess, uh, where you you kind of say, I want to do this, you know, seven times a week. I want to do this, um, you know, like three times a week, or I want to put in uh, thirty hours on this thing uh, this week, and it keeps track of it. And if you fail, it charges you money for it, and that money increases um, semi exponentially over time. Where's the money go? Um, it actually goes to them. That's their revenue model. <laughs> it's, Come it's, on. They, they, no, I'm serious. Yeah, they uh, they take the money that you uh, that you get, have to pay them because you failed your streak that you had. Wow, uh, which is kind of crazy. But uh, it's it's been working for me for a lot of these building up some of these habits so far because it helps a lot for that initial kind of push where it's like, okay, well. I really don't feel like heading to the gym today, but if I don't, I'm going to give them $30. And so maybe I should just do it now and then I can reconsider it later on. I mean, I, that's a, I, I'm definitely going to check this out. Not that I think that I would use it, but that, um, just cause the idea that I would pay them instead of paying myself or my kid or, or my wife or something seems silly, but, yeah. um, that's funny. Interestingly, they use, so it says that they, they automatically integrate with, Runkeeper, which is the app that I use to keep track of my running. So there we go. Yeah. Um, so back to the blog for a minute. So I asked what the community's most popular posts uh, have been. What about yours? What are your you know, two or three favorite posts that you've put up? 
Um, that's that's a really good question. I I really enjoyed the um, the one I wrote about uh, choosing the best gems and how how you kind of make the decision where you see okay, well I'm going to do uh, you know I want to do pagination in my Rails project. How do I figure out the best Rails pagination gem for me? Um, I want to find the, the you know the best uh, search and filter uh, gem for my project. How do I how do I find it in this big huge mess of gems that everybody's written for everything? Um, so that's and for that I have a whole bunch of criteria that I kind of use and I don't use them all every single time. Um, but they're kind of going through my thought process. These are the criteria that I try to um, at least use to narrow it down, if not actually select the one that I that I'm actually going to use. So I, I'm going to give you my two cents on the angle that your book should take. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not not knowing enough to give it, but I'm going to. I think that what you offer that's unique to the community is, and I don't know how to say this quite right, but you're more professional than most people are. Like, like okay. I mean, I know that you're, I mean, I know from your bio what you do, but it, I wouldn't have to know that you're like a developer turned development manager to know that you're a professional because like you just have a professional, like the way that you approach the choosing the gems for your Ruby project is like part smart programmer and part like adult professional guy, you know, that's like, okay, I've got to like take a step back and it's, you know, there it's, it's a repeatable process that I can use to find this and I can make a spreadsheet so that I can compare things and share it with others and remember Mm -hmm. why the hell I made this choice. Like these are, these are the sorts of tools that that adult professionals develop over time if they're good at their jobs that aren't necessarily what the programming community is all about in the first place. Well, thanks. And I definitely do. Like One of the things that's always frustrated me about a lot of the writing that's out there right now is that it's a lot of it is, okay, well, here are these, um, you know, here are these 10 options, and uh, there you go. Now the problem solved. And it's like... I find it so much more helpful when I can see, okay, these are the choices you can make. And yes, it's not going to be the right decision for every situation, but this is something that you should at least try out before you discount it and try to work on your own um, your own decision based on this whole recipe that, that uh, or these many, many components uh, that are available to you. Yeah, so I think, I mean, helping people... I think that you've got something, I think you offer something in your blog posts and my guess is that it would translate into the book pretty nicely, which is like, um, you may not be a world-class programmer yet. I'm not talking about you, but this is the voice (laughs) of the book. You may not be a world-class programmer yet, but you don't have to be, to be a good professional programmer. You'll become a good programmer over time, but you can like have your professional act together about how you approach problems and how you approach your own development you know, you can do that in a way that's professional and I'm going to show you how and sort of like fake it till you make it as you actually build up your programming skills. Um, I, I, I haven't seen many people write that have that kind of sensibility that your writing has. And, uh, you know, I don't know that, that that's what resonates to me at least. Mm-hmm. I I think that that's, that's absolutely the, the approach that I'm, uh, that I'm hoping to take for the, uh, you know, for, or for the book or that I'm hoping for people to get out of the book is, um, uh, that, these it's not so much this is how to use active record it's more like this is a way that you can get from a vague idea of what you have in your head into a working rails app by going through these steps and if you don't know where to go next this is a way that you can figure out how to get yourself back on the right path and this is the process that you can take and eventually you can tweak it to fit your own your own uh 
way of working your own ideas. But to start with, like, why not just follow this and you're not going to get lost? Right. Yeah, I think that the tone of your website, too, is a little bit different than um, used to be common in Ruby writing. Or maybe it's still still common to some degree. Which is, like, it's not snarky at all. It doesn't have any inside jokes. There are no cat gifts. There are... Like, it's... It's, I guess it's also professional. I didn't really mean to go down that path, but it's 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 got more of an adult feel than some of the the programming does, which has a smart guy feel, you know, but not necessarily like a an adult. We're not going to be snarky with our writing here approach, and I kind of like it. Oh, thanks. I mean, it is it is is hard to uh, you know uh, to keep that tone and to not throw in like little digs at other projects or other people or that kind of thing, but. Um, a lot of it is just kind of focusing on on clarity, on short sentences, on uh, like trying to get rid of a lot of the terminology that that is used just to you know, just to use terminology. Um, it, it tends to get rid of a lot of that just anyway. Now, is that on? Is that a conscious thing, or is that just you? Um, it's more of like a. I, I really have had a, a focus on um, on clarity in my writing, just on the blog and my emails and all that kind of stuff. Recently, uh, I I was let's see what was it? It was there was a um, a thing called like the Plain English Foundation or the Plain mm-hmm. English something or other um, that was talking about like why are we talking in in business speak in terminology and jargon all the time? Uh, why not just say what something is? And even if you may have to use an extra word or two here or there, um, let's let's write it in a way that everybody can understand. And so that's kind of been the way I, I wanted to start just kind of following that and uh, see where it would take me and that's kind of like how it ended up yeah i think it's working i think you oh, a good you. job all right so i should do the second sponsor um mm-hmm. which is code ship as i mentioned before uh code ship sponsored a number of times now so i want to thank them up front for that and uh well before we get to the uh, the read do you use a continuous integration service right now um, so we use continuous integration through uh, Jenkins, and like pretty much everybody that I've heard of that has used Jenkins, we you know we have some issues with it, but um, it's it's been working for us for a little bit of uh, for a little while. Uh, we're kind of investigating some of the hosted stuff, but uh, haven't got too far in that yet. All right, well, let me tell you about <laughs> CodeShip. That'd be so awesome. You can consider them. All right, so CodeShip is a free continuous delivery service that's really simple to use. They offer a a freemium base model, which is 100 builds per month for five private projects for for no cost whatsoever. And then from there, as you build more because your your app is under active development and you have a bigger team, um, you can move up to the paid plans. The whole product uh, has a, a, a pretty strong focus on usability. It's quite easy to use right out of the gate. I think it does a good job of of sort of modifying itself as as you go through the the learning curve of the app. So uh, its blank states are quite good. Once you've been using it and it's full of many deployments, it, it looks different and feels right for a more sort of broken in uh, application. Setting up uh, continuous integration on CodeShip is, is done in just a few easy steps and your software will automatically deploy if you want it to when all your tests have passed. They have support for multiple languages and test frameworks. You can easily integrate with wherever your code is hosted, whether it's GitHub or GitHub or Bitbucket, and then deploy to uh, your production servers, whether they're in the cloud uh, or your own managed boxes. Like I said, you can you know, get started with CodeShip's free plan and setup only takes about three minutes. Uh, 
you go to codeship.io slash 5x5ruby, that's codeship.io slash 5x5ruby, and use that offer code, which is 5x5ruby, you'll get 20% off any plan for three months. Uh, you can also check out their blog at blog.codeship.io to get updates and to hear more about the company. Uh, I've used uh, a handful, I've probably used three or four of the hosted um, CI solutions so far, and uh, I'm using CodeShip now and liking it. So uh, give it a shot. Awesome. I, I love their uh, their button to get started with the free plan at the very bottom. The label is outrageously huge call to action button that will help you get started with the free plan. <laughs> They're funny in general. I had a, yeah. I had their CTO on and, and uh, they, they, you can, so they're part of the sort of U.S. software company scene. They're based in Boston. I forget which of the incubators they went through, but they went through one of them there. They have venture capital. So they're, they're very much sort of what you're used to if you're used to U.S. Uh, software companies, except they started in Austria. Oh, wow. So... It, there's just something a little different about them because of that. Like even like they're at first blush, it would seem like they're just, you know, yet another U S uh, VC backed software company. But uh, once you get to know them a bit better and most, most of their team is from um, Austria, um, the sort of quirks of that difference in their background come through. And uh, <laughs> I like it. Like, so for example, they call the company or they call the service, the code ship in a okay. lot of their writing which uh, which is sort of the thing that people would do to be funny. Like they say the Twitter, except I don't think mm-hmm. that they're totally being funny. <laughs> I think that's just what they yeah. call it. <laughs> it's it's so great when you, you can kind of have a, there's a company out there with personality and you, you kind of start to think of them as you know, as a person or as a, a friend or as an employer, that kind of thing. And, um, yeah. yeah they, de- they definitely have it. They, they, they're like the, the, oh boy, I don't know that they would like this description, but here we go. They're like the, I had an exchange student in my high school from Austria when I was a kid mm-hmm. and they remind me of him. Like, right. you know, kind of, they kind of get the U S culture, uh, not kind of, they definitely do, but they're like super enthusiastic and they still feel a little Austrian and I like them. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. All right. So I've got one last topic if you are uh, up for it, Yeah. which is, uh, I want to test drive this idea of that you're good at giving professional advice to someone. So, uh, give, give me the, the say three top things that, that you think, uh, I can do to make this podcast as good as possible for the community. That's a really good question. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, cause I've got a feeling that you're going to have good advice. So I'm interested in hearing it. Thanks. Um, one of the things that I, I think would be, uh, helpful is to like, is to, if your guests have the time record a lot, and then kind of pick the best out of that. Um, so maybe instead of uh, instead of doing like a uh, if you have somebody that has a lot to say, instead of doing a two hour podcast, record two hours and then just pick the best stuff to deliver in one hour. That kind of thing. It would be way uh, better if I did that. That's definitely true. The uh, let's see uh, another another thing would be to to kind of have a like a really solid direction, I guess. Uh, I mean, I, I do love the, um, the kind of off the cuff, uh, conversation. And I think that that's, that, that should definitely still be there, but even just having, uh, a couple takeaways that you want somebody that listens to it to come away with, it would actually help them out, um, with the, uh, with their daily life after they finish listening to the podcast. 
Um, as, as kind of an example, um, one of the one of my one of the podcasts I've been listening to recently that's been one of my favorites is the uh, the Sean West podcast. I don't um, know this one. Wait, does okay. it have a name, or is that the name? That's the name. Yeah, um, it's a guy who's been doing lettering work, or been teaching lettering work um, after he did lettering work consulting for a while. So actually, doing like hand drawn letters, sort of thing for for companies, um, logos, that kind of thing. And uh, his podcast is more about uh, about like the meta of what I'm doing writing. So um, showing up, uh, getting uh, getting an audience, getting people interested in your stuff, writing good stuff that helps people out, that kind of thing. And uh, he said that uh, that's one of those where I can't just have that when I'm in the background because I'm writing stuff down. I'm writing actual, hey, I should just start doing this tomorrow sort of things. And uh, I think that where... Like your, your the Ruby on Rails podcast being a professional podcast can definitely have that. It can uh, it can have that. I'm going to come away with this knowing a lot more about uh, about Rails development, about this one thing that we're talking about by listening to this podcast, and I'm going to be a better developer for it. All right, uh, you're on a roll. These are, I mean, the first, <laughs> the, the, the first one is sort of a given. I mean, that like, yeah, if I had the time, I would boil the you know, boil the sauce to lose a bit thicker. No, no doubt. That's a little, that's like a bit of a challenge. I think that probably triple the amount of, of work every week. The second one. <laughs> so I'm not saying no on the first one. I'm just uh-huh. saying like, man, that's a, that's a trade off that one. Yeah. The second one, the, you know, summarize takeaways and sort of synthesize some of the key points that came uh, across in the episode, whether the episode was very professional or conversational or whatever, it would always be possible to do that. That's one that's definitely a good idea. That's also low on the cost side. So mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, you've definitely had uh, a lot of a lot of those that have just happened naturally. I mean, the the Peter Cooper one specifically that is the one I'm thinking of that had a lot of takeaways. That I, I have a little thing in notes that I was taking some notes while I was reading or while I was listening to that. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, let's see. Um, besides that, I'm I'm not, you know, I I can't really think of much else off the cuff. Uh, that's good advice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we've, uh, of course, got to follow your advice and come away with our, I think this has been a good, this has been a good meaty episode. So I think that we can come up with three to five takeaways from this episode. It would have been helpful if I was writing these down along the way, but all right. let's, let's do it. So uh, why don't we alternate? I'll, I'll throw out one. You throw out one until we're, all right. until we're done. So I think number one is, is use whatever trick you have to, to get into a routine of doing something. Yeah, that was definitely going to be uh, my number one <laughs> also. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, the Probably um, one of the ones that I, I would have is uh, key, like consistency is more important than, uh, kind of related, consistency is more important than the raw amount of time you put into something. Uh, that if you can, if you're trying to, to learn uh, that keeping consistent about the time you spend learning something, uh, doing a half hour every day if you can't fit in an hour, doing an hour if you can't fit in two hours is much more important than saying, I'm not going to do this for a week and then I'm going to do eight hours. All right. So I'd say a, a third is problem solving. We talked about uh, Justin's blog post about choosing a gem, which is great. You should uh, uh, take a look. I think it was published in April if you look through the archives in the blog. I'll put it in the show notes too. But the what comes away in that article is that um, uh, that structuring that process to to solve the problem of like what's the gem that's going to do the cool stuff that's also low risk 
and like how can I evaluate what those options are and then pick in a repeatable way that, that a structured approach approach to that problem, it, it will yield a much better result than if you sort of willy nilly it or just go with whatever is the, the cool thing at the time. And, um, and I would say like when you're, once you have the basics down, once you can, um, go through, or once you can build a Rails app or, you know, experiment with like little tiny Rails apps, use the fact that you can build a Rails app to go really, really deep into specific topics. Um, so say you want to, you want to get more practice with TDD or you want to figure out how to TDD some uh, network request or that kind of thing. You can spend some time going really deep into it so that you really understand it, uh, and uh, and do that using like the tiny Rails apps that I was talking about earlier. Awesome! I think that's a good. Uh, I think that's a good um, suggestion. Well, my number five is going to be to to plug your stuff. I think that you're um, you're a new voice in the Ruby community that I think is adding uh, something new um, and and something quite good. And I think that everyone would be better off if they followed you on Twitter and uh, checked out your blog. So. Okay. It's Justin, justinweiss.com, right? J-U-S-T-I-N-W-E-I-S-S.com. Yep. And I mean, that is, uh, that is step two. I mean, you, you can build something and have nobody look at it, and then you get frustrated and you stop doing it. Or you can do something and maybe get the flywheel going a little bit by you know, making a little bit more of a push than you feel comfortable with to start off with. And eventually, um, if you're consistently putting out good stuff, people will start paying more attention to it, and you won't have to do that anymore. Well, you end up on the Ruby on Rails podcast. Eventually. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> I guess that happens. Yeah. All right. So um, any last things from you as we wrap up today? Um, nothing really that I can think of. I mean, it's a, a lot of what I, what I write about that's a little bit of the softer, not specific to Rails, is about um, making sure that you can ignore the stuff that you don't need to think about right away. Uh, it's... Fighting the feeling of getting overwhelmed is one of the most important things I've ever learned about learning. And the the way to do that is by concentrating just on little tiny things that you can keep all in your mind at once and that you can have kind of concrete next steps to go to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And then once you're done with that, move on to the next thing. Yep. Keep breaking the problem up until it's small enough to not be a problem anymore. Yeah is uh, always good advice. All right. Well, thanks uh, so much to coming on this week. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you want to connect with me, I'm barely known on Twitter. All right. And uh, I'm uh, Justin Weiss on Twitter.